It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another What's Real podcast, episode 157. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-contributor, co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, as they say it in France, Gérald Bergeras. Just What's like up my, with you, Gerald? Just like my boys, Gerald Depardieu, that, that we have always loved and championed. <laughs> the man with the nose. What a beautiful individual. Hey, y'all. But yeah, your boy, the J, is pumped up for the one Heinz catch-up. The 157, the What's Real podcast, is pumped up this week as the big dog himself. Hey, Ed, the head of the family, the one Roman Reigns. Pumped up his shit, swelled, veiny. Pulsation Nation's here. Let's go, hey, Ed. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Thank God you're pumped up because I feel like I'm dying. Let me just apologize to everybody if I sound horrible because allergy season has shown up in a matter of a day here in Pittsburgh, and it is fucking killing me. So I'm going to hang in there with you guys. Just hang in there with me. I'm sure it'll be fine in a week, but until then, let's get it going. We got a good show for you guys this week. We have more wrestling stuff than you can shake a stick at. We are going to preview WrestleMania, which will be coming up here in a moment. And, of course, we're going to be talking about the WWE on A&E Bio on Charlotte. And, of course, WWE Rivals on Brock versus Roman Reigns. And, of course, it is still March Movie Madness. So we are getting into a couple movies this week. First up, the movies that made us from 1982, Sly Stallone, First Blood. And Thursday Night Prime is back uh, with one that inexplicably i have no idea how we haven't done this one yet but here we are 1991 showdown in little tokyo and of course we're going to be talking some goofs and much more but let's get into it the J. it is wrestlemania season wrestlemania 39 is going to be coming up on the weekend of april 1st and 2nd so let's do a preview uh, of course it's from inglewood california in sofi stadium and let's take a look at the matches the J. first up night one Pretty loaded up card. We have a six-woman tag team match. Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch taking on the team of Damage Control, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky. Uh, of course, they brought out the legends, Lita and Trish Stratus for this. Um, it's fine. This is like a WrestleMania match to me. So, like, I'm not super mad at it. And I think it'll be fun. Yeah, it's cool because Trish and Lita have kept themselves in really good shape uh, as they've aged. Like we said, they look, they look just as good, if not better than they ever have. <laughs> like, honestly, yep. Trish was on raw recently looking as hot as ever, and they can still both go in the ring. Uh, a six women match is, is a great way to do that. You know, everybody will get their spots, get their time. It won't be like an overburden uh, of a thing, not too much pressure or anything. So I'm actually looking forward to this. I think this will be pretty good and a, a fun part of the card. Absolutely. Uh, also we have, uh, the celebrity match, I suppose you could say, Seth freaking Rollins taking on Logan Paul. Um, I think this one has a lot of potential because Rollins is really good. Paul has shown that he's at least athletic uh, and can you know do certain things that a lot of guys don't do that are already wrestlers. So, yeah, I think they're doing this one for a reason, and uh, I'm, I think it'll be surprise a lot of people. I think it's going to be really good. Let, let's start here. Hey, Ed, we always talk WrestleMania being lifelong indie fan, wrestling fans and we always say a fun part uh, especially here previewing this year's wrestlemania is kind of feeling out and sniffing out those sleeper matches 
you know, what's, what's going to steal the show. Cause we, we know the, the big matches are, are booked really well and strong and they're going to have the ridiculous video packages like Cody and Roman. But again, let's start here. Logan Paul versus Seth Rollins. This might be my choice for what could steal the show. That, that's how much potential I think this match has. Because like you said, not only has Logan Paul shown what he could do in the ring, he's an athletic dude for a celebrity. He cares about the business now. He has fun, which I think helps. And then you're, you're in there with Seth Rollins, who's the pro of pros, and he's super hot right now, which works. So I'm really looking forward to this. This is one of my highlight matches of the weekend and could be the show stealer. Yeah, I think it's probably definitely the show stealer in night one. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see what these two could do. They've done a pretty good job, too, with kind of keeping them apart, obviously, because Logan Paul's not on Raw every week. So uh, that obviously adds to it as well. So I, I'm just looking forward to see what these two can do, because I think there's a possibility that it's really, really good. So uh, we have the big Haas fight of the evening as uh, Brock Lesnar is taking on Omos. Um, I don't expect this to be really good, but I kind of like what they've been doing with it from what I've seen on television. So, and you know how Brock is, he ain't coming in and fighting 25 minute matches, especially something like this. So I think they just have something kind of fun planned and uh, it's not going to be anything ridiculous, maybe like a five minute match here, but whatever they do, I'm kind of curious to see what it's going to be at this point. Yeah, I must say off off the outset here, hey, Ed, with this match that Gunther versus Sheamus at Clash of the Castle 2022 was in my top five matches of the year. So with these two being involved again, you throw in Drew McIntyre. I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of chemistry in this match between the three men. And like you said, this is Wait, a whoa, Haas match. Whoa, you, you, dude, you're, you're looking at the wrong match, brother. <laughs> oh, my bad. I thought you were Less talking about Gunther. Oh, Lesnar you're talking and Lesnar and Omos. Okay. <laughs> My bad, peeps. Yeah. So th this one, I do I do like the the kind of route they took with this. At first, I kind of rolled my eyes and there was the initial rumors that they were saying that this is evidence of Vince McMahon being involved again. And he was the one that kind of came up with this idea and was really pushing for it. But then with like you were breaking down, hey, Ed, kind of where they've been going with the storyline and the way they're putting it together. And and we know how Brock is behind the scenes. He's not going to work with you unless he feels like you have potential and he chooses to work with you. So that off the bat show, shows a lot for, for Omos to get a, a shot to get in there with Brock. And I think they could do something really cool with the size of Omos and how strong Brock is. You know, he's, he's going to be looking for a, a WrestleMania highlight Brock. So I, I see a feat of strength coming in this match and I, I think it could be good and I don't think they're going to keep it going too long yeah that's that's basically the way I look at it but it's it's something that'll be interesting for like the middle of the card so I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that um we have the WWE United States Championship up for grabs as Austin Theory defends against John Cena um I think Theory's really good and I know they've been kind of like holding this one out for a while and it's kind of weird too because considering Cena is not there frequently um, it's kind of weird that this one's kind of going under the radar. So uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do. I mean, Theory working with somebody like John Cena is only going to help him. And, uh, you know, it's weird because Theory's one of those guys that, like, I was, I didn't really get it whenever they started pushing him at first. But, like, I finally kind of, like, I'm on board with it. So, like, I get why they're putting so much into him. And uh, this is just proof of that. But I think, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to see a title change or anything here. But nonetheless, I still think this one has potential, too. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, but it'll be a decent match. Yeah, I think this could be really good, uh, especially just the, that classic WWE style in-ring match for the U.S. title here with Cena coming back. And, and as you mentioned, hey, Ed, since Cena hasn't been around too much, it does give that fresh taste 
taste to it. You know, it's like pretty cool that Cena is able to make the card and, and be on here. And, and I agree with you. It is kind of going under the radar. And I think this could be really good. And again, this could be another candidate for a possible show stealer, dependent on the booking and time, as we always say. But that's such a big thing with the wrestling match. And and that's that's the thing. I hope that that uh, Austin Theory goes over in this, honestly. I, I don't think yeah, I that Cena is going to be around. And I think that's kind of the point of it. And hopefully they won't do some court of, sort of like lame ending either. So as long as they stay away from that, just give them like a solid 15 minutes-ish kind of really back and forth match with Theory going over, uh, I think this could be really good. Next up, we have the WWE Raw Women's Championship up for grabs as Bianca Belair faces off against Asuka. Um, I think this one has a lot of potential to be really good here. And it's also something that I'm kind of pinning as a title change because I think, you know, they've been pushing Asuka pretty well. And I know that Trips likes her, obviously, because she went through a big undefeated streak in NXT when he was there. So I think it's probably Asuka's time again to to get that belt. I just feel like they kind of dropped the ball, unfortunately, structuring this match. Uh, from what I've seen on TV, as as we state, we don't catch every little thing uh, between Raw and SmackDown from week to week, but we still watch. And from what I've caught, I just feel like they they could have done a lot, you know, a lot more with them. I mean this this is a potential really good feud that they can maybe get some some length out of too, going straight into WrestleMania, which kind of could go into my prediction of them kind of coming up with a a squash, you know, not a squash, but kind of like a a kind of goofy ending for this to keep it going. Kind That's of thing, cause, yeah, because yeah. it is such the beginning of it. But other than that, as I keep saying, and I'm going to say it a lot, but hopefully they get the right amount of time and, and can put together a, a solid match on the WrestleMania stage, especially if they are going to have kind of a schmoz ending just to keep a feud going. But I'm really looking forward to seeing these two match up for for what's pretty much it is the first time like one on one, especially on on the WrestleMania stage. Absolutely. And what's pegged so far as the main event is the singles match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship as Charlotte Flair defends against Rhea Ripley. Um, You know, they they fought uh, the pandemic year at WrestleMania. It was good, not great. Um, Obviously, Rhea's improved since then. Um, Charlotte, you know, not much you could say about her. Charlotte, Charlotte. Um, I think this obviously has potential to be a really good match. We're going to see if they can kind of work through and have a better match than they did, you know, previously. Um, I, you know, here's the weird thing. I obviously I think that this is set up for a title change, um, but I kind of think it's a mistake to do that. Like I think booking Charlotte strong and just keeping the belt on her is kind of the way to go. Um, you know, Rhea's fine. I don't think Rhea needs a belt at this point, but like. If you're going to put the belt on her, I don't think this is the way to go. I think they've kind of flubbed it where they should have probably did Bianca and, and Rhea at one point. They just didn't do it. So that would be the way to go for her. But, yeah, I mean, they're probably still going to do it, but I'm just hoping it's going to be a good match. I, I don't know how good of a match it is, and I especially don't know if it's going to be good enough to main event night one of WrestleMania. So we'll have to see how that shakes out, but maybe they'll surprise me. They could be doing that kind of stuff that – WWE is known for like Ripley can't beat Flair for some reason, you know, yeah. like and have yep. that be part of it. Uh, I, I wasn't too big on this feud either, like the way they've been building it. I thought it was kind of lame. I, and I think that was stemming from how they screwed up. Like you had mentioned, hey, Ed, the when these two ladies first met up several years ago and that wasn't great. But there was a really good back and forth on SmackDown when yeah. Charlotte got thrown down, the kind of perked me up a little bit towards it. So, um, but again, uh, I think that 
Rhea Ripley's come a long way since the last time they were feuding, and and it's been enough time that I'm interested, uh, especially with Rhea, Rhea Ripley's character where where she is with the Judgment Day and and Do- as Dominic's Mama Sita and everything. Uh, so I I think this has has potential. I mean, we we know both are, are really athletic, but to your point, Rhea sometimes just doesn't have that chemistry always. But yep. now it's looking like she's on kind of a good trajectory. So hopefully that's not the case, and, and they put together a good match. That's pretty much all I care about. Yeah, no, I, that's pretty much the way I feel about it, too. So let's get down to some predictions here for night one, the J. Uh, who wins out of Lesnar and Omos? Lesnar. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky versus Damage Control. I'm going to go with Becky and the Legends. Yeah, the Legends. I don't think they'd have them on there. But, you know, they, they do that sometimes. But I'm, I'm thinking the, the fa- baby faces. Uh, Austin Theory, John Cena. Hopefully Theory. Yeah, that's. I think Theory's going to go over too. I don't. Cena's smart. He's not coming back to win the U.S. title. Um, uh, Rollins and Logan Paul. Uh, I think Rollins is going to beat him. I'm with you there. I think Rollins is going over here. Uh, Bianca Belair versus Oscar. I smell a title change. I'm. I'm sticking with Bianca. And Charlotte and Rhea. I'm going to think. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. You know. I, I know your breakdown was. Kind of swaying me, hey Ed, but I'm I'm still thinking that again with Rhea's character that she goes over. Yeah, I think Rhea's going to win. I definitely do, um, but I hope she doesn't. So it is what gotcha. it is. Uh, all right, now night two. Uh, let's get into this. Um, I don't know how much of this is all finalized right now because they're always good at throwing shit in at the last minute. There are more matches. Uh, there are seven matches uh, set up for night two. Uh, so this is what we have for night two so far. We have Braun Strowman, Ricochet uh, versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy versus the Viking Raiders in the men's WrestleMania Showcase Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Match. Um, this just feels thrown together to me. I don't like literally I like the Street Profits and I like Ricochet, but I don't like anybody else in this match. <laughs> this is the get everybody on the card. Yeah, kind yep. of stuff, and and they have this typically at WrestleManias. I mean, we're we're lucky. We were talking about that off the air. We're lucky we're not dealing with a big chunk of time going towards the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, which isn't going to be on WrestleMania. It's going to be on the Friday Night SmackDown before Mania, so we don't have to deal with that. But you're going to still get matches like this to get multiple people on, and that's what this is. And speaking of that, we have the same thing for the women as we have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia and Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler versus Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. Um, whatever. Just match to get people on the card. I could care less about any of it. The thing with this is it's pretty surprising how far Ronda's star has dropped not being involved. Oh, yeah. in, and I, I know like not everybody can be in the main events every show or even every WrestleMania. I get it, but still... With Ronda Rousey, you know Ronda Rousey's fanfare coming in and everything, she basically turned natural heel from people, yeah, you know, from her interactions on social media and just the way attitude she has. But uh, that's that's what stands out here is that Ronda Rousey's involved in something like this. Uh, we also have Edge versus the Demon Finn Balor in a Hell in a Cell match. Um, I think this is going to be a good match, dude, but I'll be honest with you. Like, it's a hell in a cell match. It feels kind of shoehorned on, and you're not going to see anything insane. Like, not like people always expect that, but in just the the position of it on the card with everything else, like, I just, it's a bad scenario to have a hell in a cell match to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. What I'm hoping is that this is the end of this feud. I feel like Please. it's been a year that they've been feuding. It has been. Yeah, much. yeah. So uh, that's, I mean, I think that's obviously why they're doing this, Hell in a Cell, just to end this feud between these two guys. But I think it could be good. I, I saw Edge uh, made a comment on a radio show doing promotion for WrestleMania where he said, I have some tricks up my sleeve and some crazy stuff that I want to do. It just depends on if, we, if they're going to let me do it. So that kind of intrigued me on, on what that is because Edge don't fuck around, you know? And I think he's kind of had a weird comeback overall and, and got shaken up again and stuff. So I think he's really going to b- bring it. And Finn Balor's very capable uh, with the demon character and there's going to be cool, really cool entrance at Sophie Field. So I'm looking forward to this. And, and I don't know if you saw the other thing about this too, hey, Ed. As you know, the Helena Cell, uh, ha- the, they have a full pay-per-view WWE of Hell in a Cell, yep. and they have a couple uh, Hell in a Cell matches on the p- pay-per-view, and they changed the cell to like this red uh, look, and they're going back to the original cell look for this. Not okay. that that's a big deal, but just for the visual and stuff. I-, I didn't think the red was that bad. It was different, but I think you know with them going with the red cell for a while and coming back to this, that's just going to add a little bit of flair too, just to have kind of a different look for you know in comparison to other recent Hell in the Cells. Yeah, absolutely. So I would agree with that, too. Uh, We also have the triple threat for the WWE Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. This will be good, but Gunther's going to keep that belt. That's just, he ain't losing that anytime soon unless they're thinking about moving him up, and I don't think they're quite there yet. Back to this one. Hey, Ed, where I j- jumped the Gunther on. See what yeah, I did, you did. there. The <laughs> but, Gunther. You jumped the Gunther. But as I was mentioning, Sheamus and Gunther at Clash at the Castle uh, was tremendous. And so you had Drew McIntyre in here. I think these three are just going to beat the living shit out of each other. <laughs> so yep. that's what I'm hoping for. And, and we always say with our overall pay-per-views, we like the different slots. And yeah, hopefully this is the, you know, what, what do we say from the 411 guys? This the stud men slapping meat oh the, the big meaty men slapping, slapping meat. meat that's what this match is so but yeah hopefully it's it's good and, and this i gotta say it could be another one that you're not thinking it it might it might be one of that sh- those show stealers we're talking about we also have the battle of the mysterios as ray faces off against dominic um i know some people aren't like super big on this but this is just my line of thinking with this okay uh ray's fighting his son at wrestlemania i think it's cool and I don't know how many people out there feel the way I do, but like Rey Mysterio is one of the fucking legitimate all-time greats. He could still go. He's still a lot of fun. I always like seeing Rey on a show. And I just have the vibe knowing the, the kind of Rey we've seen over his whole career that he's going to definitely put out here uh, for his son. And I think this is going to be a, this is going to be the match that I think steals the show of the second night. There you go. I, I love the fact that they went with making Dominic heel. Whoever's decision that was trips, whoever huge, so much more intriguing of a character as a heel than a baby face. He kind of has the Eddie Guerrero like hair. They yeah, gave they're him making that. they're they're giving him the look of Eddie. Like they're doing that on purpose. It's you know it's I get it's like mocking Ray kind. It's like of an homage. Yeah, it's like an homage when he's mocking Ray in the storyline. But yeah, I, I love how they were doing this. I don't know if you caught SmackDown. Where I did. He, he so Dominic's um, his mother Ray's wife and daughter Aaliyah were in the crowd in the first row and Dominic okay. was cutting a promo on Ray after a match and Ray still refused to accept his challenge at WrestleMania so of course Dominic went over to the women and was berating them and ripped the mic out of uh, his mom's hand when she was trying to talk into it so that just sent Ray over and he came and just punched him in the face 
So okay. I, I like that. I, I think it's, this is built up well. They did the tease for a long time. I think they did that properly. So this is another one to, to give WWE props when it's deserved, where I think they, they have a good storyline with this. The characters are set. Father versus son. It, it's going to be really solid. And for one of the bigger matches of Mania weekend, the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship is up for grabs as Jay and Jimmy, the Usos, defend against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This is portion of a big payoff here uh, for for this feud and, and everything going on with Sami Zayn. Uh, whenever we give predictions, I'll kind of explain myself more, uh, more here, but I think we're on the verge of seeing one of the more interesting things at WrestleMania in this match, and it might not be what you think. This is built up so well because, like you just said, say he had, and I, I think they just found lightning in a, a bottle, as they say, with professional wrestling with Sami Zayn and him getting put with the bloodline and how well that worked in, in the storyline that it was, you know, that evolved from that and where we're at, where we're at now with the reuniting Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn as a tag team. The Usos have been the tag team champions for hundreds of days. So there's a lot on the line here that's legit too, which is rare in professional wrestling. So uh, yeah, very much looking towards this match as one of my top matches of the weekend. And of course, the main event, the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship as Roman Reigns defends against Cody Rhodes. Um I think that this they were building this up pretty well, and I think the momentum for it has kind of gone down a little bit, which is kind of sad. Um, I'm curious to see what this match is going to be. I really didn't like this match when it was first kind of brought to our attention that that's what they were going to do this year. Um, I'm obviously going to give Cody a chance. Roman's fucking awesome, so the match is going to be a good match. So, you know, it is what it is. I was thinking about it, and this might be the most excited I've been for a WrestleMania event in some time yeah definitely since the pandemic just like just because we've had the pandemic then we had the the years where kind of brock got shoe shoehorned in which he needed to i get why they did it and everything there wasn't really a better contender but that's kind of my point you know as far as just straight up main events go where it's super fresh i mean shit we got to talk about it like the best dude in wwe versus cody rhodes that's most of his uh, wrestling in the past couple years because of his injury and him not being able to get off the ground because he got hurt so early coming to WWE was his run in AEW. So yeah. it's kind of like the, the AEW guy. And that's, that's what we were saying when we, we first heard this, that this is the route they were going with WrestleMania is like, that's cool, man. This is the first the guy that came over from AEW that's going to be in the main event picture in WWE as far as the AEW era uh, in quotes goes uh, with them coming into prominence the last few years. So I'm really looking forward to this and I'm just hoping they don't overthink it. They got to keep this simple and and not overthink it. I agree with you there and we'll, we'll get into that more here in a moment. So let's get into predictions for night two, the men's WrestleMania showcase fatal four-way tag match. Braun Strowman and Ricochet versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy versus the Viking Raiders. I'm going to go with the Street Profits in this one. Yeah, I th I'm thinking they, they've been kind of pushing Braun and Ricochet a little more, yeah. so I'm going to go with them. Yep. Okay. In the women's matchup, we have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia Shotzi, Ronda and Shayna, and Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. Who do you pick, the J? I think Ronda and Shayna are going to go over. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. I also think there's a chance that Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville go over because they've been getting a lot of TV time. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Ronda and, and Shayna are probably the safe bet uh, for that one. 
next up is the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre. Gunther's going to keep. I'd like to see him keep. Uh, Helena Cell, the J. Who do you got? Edge or the Demon? I'm thinking Edge at Mania. Same. Yeah, yeah I agree with you there. Uh, the Battle of the Mysterios. Ray or Dominic? I'm going to go with Ray Mysterio. I'm going with Dominic. Okay. And the Usos versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the J. I think the Usos are keeping. Me too. And I will explain more here in a moment. And the main event. Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. I think Cody wins the title. Ideal world. The Rock comes down. Something happens and he costs Roman the, the, the match and Cody wins. Now, this is what I'm thinking happens here, the J. So Roman loses the belt and the Usos keep. And Roman ain't going to be happy about that. And that's when we see the last kind of like fracturing of the bloodline where the Usos are eventually going to turn babyface um, yep. and leave him because it's like he's pissed that we're the champs and he's not. and He's supposed to be that at the Tate. Like it's going to create the conflict. And then it's also going to be like the final feud type. It wouldn't even surprise me, dude, if Roman ends up fighting both of the Usos. Yeah, because they were they were kind of promoting live show footage like you know house shows of, yeah. Ro- of roman like berating solo and yep. stuff so like they're planting those seeds yeah absolutely it's just a matter of when it's going to happen yeah when and it how. Might, it, you know it might even be the type of thing where we see roman and, and solo versus the usos and fucking the usos beat him and then he basically does you know like i lost because of this fucking idiot and then solo turns on him and then roman's by himself and right. then you might even see Heyman leave you know, because that's they always do that with Heyman too. Like he'll split when shit's like he'll go with Brock again or do something. You know what I mean? Yeah, he'll just get out of dodge. So yeah, but it looks like a pretty solid card. Obviously, uh, because the situation's going on with me and the J, we we're gonna talk about WrestleMania here in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's not gonna be our typical review uh, that we normally do of, of WrestleMania uh, because of the situation. We're both actually gonna be out of town over the weekend. We're going to have a special coming up for you guys that we're going to talk about later in the show. Uh, So that'll be a lot of fun. But we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, the wrestling talk does not end. We're going to talk about the WWE on A&E biography on Charlotte and WWE rivals on Brock versus Roman Reigns. So stay tuned for that and much more right here on the What's Real podcast. Join us next week for episode 158 of the What's Real podcast. It's another huge professional wrestling segment with a recap of this year's WrestleMania as WrestleMania went Hollywood. Hear what the guys thought about this year's grandest stage of them all. Then it's A&E on WWE with the biography on Dusty Rhodes and WWE rivals, The Undertaker versus Randy Orton. And April is the month of Fridays at Midnight with another exciting double feature. This is Timmy and James with the What's World Podcast talking Gooth or Goose for the 158th episode where the guys talk about body slamming 1,000 pound sisters, lab grown meat, Johnny football getting pooped on, and Tommy Lee Jones, our man and national treasure. All that and much more next week on episode 158 of the What's Real Podcast. And we're back, and it is time to get into some WWE on A&E biography, this time 
all about Charlotte Flair. Uh, kind of weird considering this is so early along, not early along, but like, you know, Charlotte still has a career ahead of her and they're, they're doing something like this on her, but mix her in with her dad. Uh, the fact that she's had a, a large amount of success in her career, um, it kind of makes sense. So let's take a look at it. They, of course, get into uh, everything with the Flair family whenever she was born uh, in 1986. Um, they talked about their their childhood, showed some home video stuff, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and Lord knows, not to be a dick here to Jay, but Lord knows that uh, Flair wasn't around for a whole lot of it. So at least they have some home video of him with the kids. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, it's always interesting to see somebody you follow for so long, like personal videos as a little girl, you know? Yeah, very, and, dude, it's, it's, I don't know if you remember this or not. Um, I forget which one it is. It's one of the Starcades, but there's a Starcade where Flair's fighting Vader. And they do the thing where, like, mean jeans at Flair's house in WCW. Oh, I and, remember that. And, and they, like, get it. They, like, leave the house and go in the limo and ride to the building. Like, while they, but, like, they show her then. And they showed her later on, like, when they did that shit with, like, David Flair, like, breaking into their house. Yeah, like in the late '90s, so like she's been on TV a handful of times in wrestling, uh, but which is kind of disappointing because like they don't really show a whole lot of that. And I thought that would have been a good opportunity to at least bring that up. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, as much as like you were saying, because we talked about that when we brought up last week that next week's uh, biography was Charlotte, and we said she's in her prime, or like as she would tell you, she doesn't even feel like she is in her prime yet, which I saw in an interview. You know, so yeah. but. The, the other side of that is the fact that being Ric Flair's daughter alone and being in her 30s now, like she does have an interesting enough story, uh, especially for an hour long one with commercials, as we've been saying, like with yep. the, the total runtime not being ridiculous, that this, this I can't think, made it fit. Yeah, I agree with that I, 100%. Um, they, of course, talk about her younger days with like gymnastics, volleyball, stuff like that. Uh, they go through when she was front row at Rick's retirement match at WrestleMania, which, of course, wasn't his retirement match. Um, and then she kind of talked about, like, spending time with her dad. And, you know, her not too long, she was in Tampa training for Florida Championship Wrestling because after her brother Reed had died, uh, she wanted to kind of take over his dream. Uh, so she proceeded then to be trained. Uh, they, of course, talked to some of her trainers, such as Sarah Amato, who's formerly known as Sarah Del Rey. And Norman Smiley, who were the uh, developmental trainers at the time, and probably most responsible for training her. So, uh, you know, it, and it's kind of weird, dude. Like, if you remember back in the day when she first, like, came through an NXT, I was, like, shocked that it was Flair's daughter. Because, like, the very early embryonic stages of her were very generic and very, I'm like, yeah, this yeah they show like her all. first interview. It's, yeah, it's rough, yep. man. Rough. Yeah, it was like, dude, I don't think she's ever going to get it. But she happened to be, you know, in NXT at the time with people like Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Becky Lynch, uh, which there's no doubt about it. It helped like all four of them. The fact that they were all there and training together and everything else. Like, it kind of explains why, like, the performance center can be a really good thing. Because like if you have a really good crop of people down there and they're constantly working with each other, that they're going to be everybody's going to keep getting the, better, yeah. And, and, and that's before they even really get on television. And so, you also like, add in the fact that that's when Dusty was around, of course, which had to be uh, huge, especially for character development. 
and especially for her, because right. I'm sure that Dusty did take a vested Hands interest on. in her yeah. uh, 100%. Uh, they talk about her uh, having Ric Flair, her dad, as the manager. And, you know, like, it, it obviously helped, but it didn't really help in the long term for her. Like, it, it was probably to her detriment for a little while. And, like, obviously, once they broke that off on the main roster, she just kind of surged ahead. So, uh, but, you know, it's not an easy thing to do because, frankly, you know, we I think we can speak better than almost anybody on this to Jay, but we've been wrestling fans for decades. And it's it, it's Ric Flair. Like, he's one of the biggest, greatest people of all time in professional wrestling. So he's kind of a distraction as a manager at that point. That's what it was. And like he, and he didn't do his – Right. He didn't do his job that great. I remember when he first came in and NXT, it worked. Because we didn't yes. – because that was the first time seeing it. It's like anything. But when you get into, as we always mention, the WWE machine and she's on Raw week in and week out and Flair's coming down with her and then it gets to the point where it just gets stale because he wasn't really doing anything to help her, like you're saying. It was kind of more of a distraction than anything. And then, of course, they – and you know, here's the disappointing part about this to me. They, of course, get into like her self-confidence issues and, of course, she's Ric Flair's daughter and – and that stuff wasn't bad, but they essentially went with that as opposed to really highlighting a lot of stuff from her career. Right. Like yeah. They talked about they her breasts, her uh, it, breast augmentation surgery, which she was only also, 20 years old, which I didn't realize that. Yeah. And dude, they also talk about her like main eventing at WrestleMania, but like with very little involvement of the match, what it was other than just some quick clips and stuff like that. It's kind of just like in passing. So it's like, yeah, it was a big deal that she main evented WrestleMania, but like, it's not like she had some legendary match or anything like that. Like, and I get it that she main evented WrestleMania where Ric Flair never really did, but Flair's had greater matches at WrestleMania than she ever had. Yeah, and and then she she kind of developed her own woo. Yes, which and, is still kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I, you kind of got to do it as Flair's daughter. So, uh, but yeah, they they talked about her personal life where she talked about meeting Manny Andrade in 2018. Andrade, Andrade and uh, he he constantly supported her. They ended up getting married in 2022 last year in, in that relationship, uh, and they close it out where she was visiting Reed, you know, at the cemetery who she mentioned is never far from her thoughts and hoping someday she'll hear woos in the crowd that she knows belong to her and not her father. It was kind of wrapping it up. But, but yeah, I mean, there's only so much you could do with somebody as, as we keep discussing. I mean, that's the biggest elephant in the room with something like this, a biography on Charlotte Flair, who's definitively in her prime of this career. So they kind of yeah. jumped the gun with this, I feel. Yeah, me too. Like it wasn't bad, but it's not anything. No, it was good, but yeah, it was a you know quick and easy watch. You know, like you said, like an hour for uh, it with commercials and stuff like that. So it's not exactly anything crazy, but um, you know, I mean, I mean, it's decent enough. You know, not not really complaining. It kind of went quick, and I was like, okay, you know, that was decent enough. It was better than I thought it would be, basically. Yeah, and and I always get sad seeing the thing about Reed Flair. And, and all that kind of stuff. So, so it was emotional at, at parts. And, and, you know, they talked about Ric Flair's serious health issues and everything. So, um, you know, it's definitely an interesting family and, and she's a big part of it. And, and it is amazing uh, that she was part of the women's revolution and what she can do. And that, that's, that's one thing I will always give Charlotte Flair credit for too, dude. She is a beast of an athlete. And that's something that they talked about at the ass, uh, 
the outset when you you did mention it, hey, I'd like with her gymnastics and in sports, but she got like a full ride for volleyball and stuff. So she was no yep. joke as far as athletics. She just, you know, that's the tough thing with professional wrestling as an art form. You have to put all of it together. You know, so somebody that's just an athlete isn't going to get over if you if you can't speak and, and have a presence and and vice versa. And she luckily had that athletic ability foundation. And then she was able to find at least a decent enough promo. Cause I still feel like Charlotte, I mean, she's, she's a lot better than she was, but she still can have kind of weird storylines and stuff. Like we were talking about with, with Rhea, even with this year's mania. But and she could be really good too. Like it, it she does good stuff. That's what I'm Yeah. She, she fluctuates, but that's, that's kind of my point to this rant is that she always has that foundation of being ridiculously athletic in the ring. Yeah, and she can go 100%. So, uh, But that is a WWE on A&E biography on Charlotte. Now let's head over to the next episode of WWE Rivals. Of course, we are talking Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Now, I really wasn't looking forward to this. I kind of think I even said it last week on the show. But, you know, this feels like it, would, it happened in a different world at this point. Uh, frankly, uh, which is weird because it wasn't that long ago, but it's just Roman has changed so much. Yeah, that's what it was. And I don't I don't rewatch recent stuff as much as an adult. Like as kids, we always talked about that. You know, you're yep. wrestling starved. You watch everything a million times over. So even things that are like five, six years old that I've only seen like once, I'm like, OK, this makes this more more interesting than I thought, because I was going to, you know, like we say, thinking going into it as a wrestling fan, you're like, dude, I lived through this shit. I just watched this shit a few years ago. It's just rehashed. But a lot of this stuff, then the way they packaged it, I'm like, you know, because obviously I remember the leukemia thing, but even the way they put that in there and everything, which we'll get in, I don't want to get out of order, but that's kind of my overall take on this as far as like being, you know, kind of surprised by this episode was the fact that like a lot of the stuff felt kind of fresh to me. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and we have, for once, uh, a changing uh, roundtable. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gargano's on that. Freddie Prince Jr., JBL, Johnny Gargano, Kevin Owens, and Renee, yeah. which surprised that was the weird. shit out of me. Yeah. Like, how long ago did they do this? Yeah, it must have been <laughs> a while. That's what I was thinking. But, and they, you know, this one kind of started out a little goofy because the way they, it's like they were talking about, uh, you know, Brock looking like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, he would work in the 1980s and shit like that, which is, you know, whatever. Um, but then they start getting, of course, into like, the, the, they wanted to start off with Brock back in 2002, whenever he took the title from The Rock, um, which is five months after his debut. Um, and then I always thought, I, somebody else said this before, and I thought it was funny that they clearly fed this to McAfee, but... Uh, Pat McAfee says that if aliens landed on the planet and want to face one person to save the planet, we should send Brock Lesnar because he's the alpha male of our species. And I swear to God, I've heard somebody else say that before. (laughs) Um, Whatever. But and then they kind of get into it, of course, like, you know, they fucking show him go to MMA and all, you know, the run through. And then he eventually comes back and, you know, and then they get into the whole thing of like how, you know, Roman was kind of flourishing at the time and stuff stuff like that. But if they get into the early days about how he wanted to be into football, like, dude, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying this shit was bad, but for an episode of Rivals, like, we don't need any of this shit. Just that's, get into the fucking rivalry. That's the problem. There's not enough to, like, the rivalry, I guess, for a docuseries because they basically do these mini bios in it. And it, 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 yeah. it it's kind of weird. 
And of course, they start this when it all starts in 2015 with Roman wins the Royal Rumble and the crowd is pissed. Uh, it's kind of interesting to like see the company acknowledge that time period because obviously they never really did. Um, and it's funny too that a JBL quote that that I loved here: "To hell with the crowd. There was a bigger plan going forward." Yeah, it's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard in professional wrestling ever. To I hell think with the crowd. They were just like, trying to make Roman feel better. I feel because yeah. somebody, I think it's Michael Hayes. They they show and he's like. Don't worry, brother. This is just one yes. city. We're going out to the world. Yeah. Meanwhile, the whole fucking world felt the same way, too. I <laughs> hated them at that point. <laughs> at that so time, you can say, yeah. what, like, do we really need to sugarcoat this anymore? Roman's <laughs> yeah. a fucking success. Yeah. He's had one of the greatest runs in company's history. Like, we can all forget about the fact, like, the, when they talk about The Rock, they're like, remember when everybody's like, die, Rocky, die, and Rocky sucks? Like, he ain't like, oh, that never happened. It's hard yeah. to make me feel better. Like, it, it is what it is. Like, and they're, trust me. They're always going to bring that shit up. Like, just like The Rock. The fans didn't like him at first, and then they finally respected him. Like, great, whatever. So they get into the whole deal. And, of course, we're talking uh, WrestleMania 31 in San Francisco. Uh, That's the evolution of the original Suplex City bitch uh, comment in the match. Um, And, of course, this would lead to Seth Rollins cashing in the money in the bank. Which everybody fucking loved at the that time. That was really because, good. Because nobody really wanted Roman or Brock to be champion, and that was a good way to do it. But, of course, they don't really say that as much. You know what I mean? They try and do, like, the whole boo-hoo crying. Like, oh, my God, it was amazing to face Brock at Mania. Yeah, whatever. Like, it is what it is. But, like, <clears throat> it's hard to ex- Like, dude, I again, like, I liked like the rehashing of stuff that they were showing, but I fucking hated pretty much everything in this that explained like, you know, the talking heads and everything. Cause they're all just blowing themselves about it. Well, dude, and I don't like, think I was going to ask you this cause I might've missed it, but I don't think I did. I don't think, cause I know how they edit these. They, they probably talk for some time and then everything gets cut. Obviously I don't think yeah. Owen said one thing. I seen him say one thing. Okay, I think I he said I one thing then, because Gargano and, says a little bit of stuff, and JBL's yeah. always chiming in. I remember Renee. Well, he, like, Prince like they, runs it, but I don't remember they, KO saying shit. They hit up Owens and they're like, "We need somebody to take Nash's role. Can you do it?" He's like, "Sure, I can hop on and say nothing." Yeah, yeah. Or he's Nash, just like oh, Nash with his yeah. usual three things. <laughs> he's just like, "Yeah, that was great." And that's the last thing you hear from him. Well, you like know? I said, Nash is probably all pissed. Like I, I talked for seventeen minutes on this, and there's only thirty they, seconds of my audio. It's like they just have me grunting on this motherfucker. This makes no sense. Probably because I can just imagine that too. Because like, no matter what they're talking about, it just reminds me when I left WWF and went to WCW. We got more money and less dates, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, shut the fuck up. This has nothing to do with Sami Zayn and fucking, you know, or like this yeah. has nothing to do with Trish and Lita. Nash, calm the fuck down. But uh, so, like, this one's kind of fucking hard to deal with because they're pumping up matches that fans legitimately did not give a fuck about. Like, they did not like Roman from the very beginning of this. Uh, people just wanted Brock to fucking kill him, essentially, which they kind of did for a little while, which made people happy. And then people got tired of Brock. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, yeah. these guys didn't really flourish until they finally got fucking away from each other in what, 2019 or whatever the fuck it was? Yeah, because WrestleMania 34 was Brock Roman 2. And that was oh, 2018. Sorry, 2021. Yeah, did, uh, so. 
Ugh. It took a few years for them to really <laughs> get their true chemistry, you know? And it's like, dude, I don't even really want to go over half of this shit because it's just all like, you know, like they go over the leukemia stuff, which you can't forget either. There's people who thought that shit was fake. They thought they were trying to use that to get him over. That's yeah. how much people hated this fucking dude. They're like, this cancer thing's bullshit. They're just trying to get him over. <laughs> That's how bad people fucking hated Roman back then. Yeah, it's a good point to make because you forget about things like that because, like you said, with his recent run and how much he's changed in that time, that, that's a great point. I think that's what kind of made this stand out too because you see Roman's true evolution to, to present think, day. And see, dude, I think they kind of missed the mark on this one for this. Like, I didn't mind this one, but it would have been really nice to kind of see Roman actually reflecting on a time period of his career that wasn't really working out well. Right. And they it, they just kind of skipped the opportunity. And you know, goddamn well, Brock wasn't coming in and talking about a goddamn thing. He ain't give no. a fuck. Just use old shit. I don't care. You have Michael Hayes talk for me. Like, whatever. So this one, like, it's weird. If you would have asked me, like, okay, if you would have told me, like, last week, like, dude, the biography and here's the fucking rivals, one of them's thrown together. Which one would you think it'd be? And I'd be like, probably the Charlotte one. But, like, this is the one that kind of felt thrown together to me. Like, I did enjoy going back and seeing like the presentation. And like I said, it look it's like a different world now because of who Roman is. And even Brock is even much different than what he used to be. So that part I liked rewatching the clips and stuff like that, which I normally could give two shits about when I watch these. Um and but when it came to like all the interview stuff, all the time it was just like a lot of revisionist history. No, it wasn't very sincere. Um, it should have been better than what it was, frankly, because the amount of time and, and matches that they've given these guys, but it really just wasn't. So, like, other than the rehashing of the clips and stuff like that, like you said, I probably have only watched a lot of this stuff once, so I enjoyed that, but the other stuff, I was just, like, rolling my eyes at a lot. Uh, speaking of rolling your eyes, when McAfee notes he nearly passed out from excitement when Brock came down after he had been gone for a while, it was after the SummerSlam Roman Cena match. And, yep. and Cena said that he didn't know Brock was there and thought it was weird hearing his music after he lost. I'm like, dude, you're in the fucking locker room. It's Those not like, like Hogan lies to me. Yeah. Like, well, they're trying to build up the, the documentary, but us hardcore fans just see right through it. Like there, there's no way you'd Cena or even McAfee for that matter. Didn't know Brock was there and, and, and dude, would be that surprised. It kind of tells you, because remember I said this, I might even have said it on the show, but I was like, it's not really a rivalry. They just had a bunch of forced matches. It wasn't like a real, genuine rivalry. Like, nobody was excited to see the match. Every time they get announced, people are like, oh, fucking again? Like, that's not a rivalry to me. Right, that's a good point. I, I so, think, you know, one, one good thing that did come out of this that the Talking Heads did discuss was Cowboy Brock. Which we oh, yeah. said was ridiculous, you know. Yep. Like cowboy Absolutely. shit. Yeah, that's the best this the, the best this ever was when is when Roman was heel. Yeah, exactly. Like when they were when they were forcing the babyface shit on it, it just did not work. It didn't. He got over we and we said that shit for years. Like if they would just make him heel, it would be fine. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like with, with where Brock is now, I think that his time's limited anyway in the WWE, Same. which is another story for another day. But but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, you know, that's why we say, dude, knowing, knowing about wrestling, the booking is three quarters of what's going on. And if the booking's off, you know, you get things like that that are just weird and just don't mesh. 
And and yeah, I, I'm I'm with you though with the breakdown of the bottom line of this being the fact that this isn't a true rivalry. Like that's that's yeah. exactly because we would say that we're just like and and again I even got the business side of it when when they did the last big Brock and and Roman WrestleMania match and then they did the the SummerSlam last man standing match and everything because at that time nobody else was really stepping up in that picture and since then like to your point hey had the landscape within WWE and then the impending of course quote unquote Triple H era now there's a lot of guys and fresh faces that could maybe step up which which is the case this year of course with Cody Rhodes being around but yep. it was just that that era of WWE where those guys cuz cuz you you know how it is as as well as I do hey Ed, they st- as much as we might have been tired of them and rolling our eyes Brock and Roman were exponentially getting higher ratings when they were part of the shows or their segments than anybody else so yeah, so of course the they're going to be pushing them and putting them together constantly yeah I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's why they did it. Yeah, they didn't have any other choice, you know. And they're, you know, that's what happens when you don't build new stars, right? Kind of got to like shoehorn shit together. Exactly. And that's Vince to a T. We know that. Yeah. But, uh, but that's kind of the breakdown of rivals. Uh, nothing special this week for that. I, I thought the the biography on Charlotte was much more entertaining and and something. You know, I might actually watch that again compared to this. Which if I see this on again, I'm definitely just going to switch to something else because I don't care. Right. Yeah. No, the Charlotte one was was definitely better. But like you said, I was pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to be even worse than than what it was. And it was fun, you know, reliving uh, their 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 feud for the last few years. Absolutely. So uh, that's the breakdown of biography and rivals. So we are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is time for the movies that made us. We go back to 1982 with First Blood. So stay tuned with that for that and much more. Right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy and James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time once again for another edition of the movies that made us today. We go back to 1982. This is a dual pick for me and the J, directed by Ted Kochef. We're talking about Rambo, First Blood. When a former Green Beret, John Rambo, is harassed by local law enforcement and arrested for vagrancy, the Vietnam vet snaps, runs for the hills, and rat-a-tat-tats his way into the action movie Hall of Fame. Hounded by a relentless sheriff, Rambo employs heavy-handed guerrilla tactics to shake the cops off his tail. Uh, of course, starring Sylvester Stallone as John Rambo. We also have uh, in this one Richard Crenna uh, in his first uh, appearance as Colonel Samuel Troutman. Brian Dennehy playing Will Teasel, the asshole sheriff. Chris Mulkey appears in this one as well. Um, and David Caruso uh, with an early role um, is one of the deputies. Dude, 
I love First Blood for a variant, a whole bunch of reasons. Like, first and foremost, this character became quite possibly the most iconic character of the 1980s, starting with this movie. Um, but it's wild because this movie basically doubles as something that would play in any cineplex, right? Because it's like a big star action movie type thing. Uh, but it also easily doubles as something that would play at drive-ins and grindhouses uh, because it's a, you know, it's a pretty rough movie. It's a dark movie. Um, and it this is the one that really kind of sent the template for like the the dangerous loner type action film. Um, Stallone's really good in this one. Um, of course, in the other Rambo movies, he becomes kind of a parody of the character. But in the original, it, it's a really fleshed out, interesting look at a Vietnam vet who kind of feels like he's lost his place in the world. Uh, and they really do kind of get into that subject matter, too. This isn't just like a shoot 'em up bullshit action movie. Um, and that's something that definitely, you know, not only stands the test of time, but it makes this one really stand out because it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of themes and stuff going on in this one that are clearly from somebody who felt for the soldiers and stuff that came back from Vietnam. And it's interesting because of that alone, let alone what it actually is in of itself. They, they build it up so well. Hey, Ed, with the fact of being the viewer, how Rambo is mistreated. And of course that's the whole point, but especially first watching this as kids, the eighties being pretty young where it's like, you're rooting for him so much, yep. you know? And, and that's, that's one of those things that makes it. Cause as, as I always state, which I always do my tradition here for the what's real podcast, I always relive the choices we make for our film segments. This being the movies that made us and watching first blood this weekend. And uh, it's something I probably watched First Blood, you know, just a couple years ago. I could watch it every every fucking other week, to be honest with you. Same. It's, no, it's one the of the, the self-proclaimed Jay's pump up movies uh, for sure. But, you know, what else can you say about, you know, like you mentioned, creating the most pop cultural influenced character of the 1980s where like everybody states how President Reagan of the time was saying how Rambo was a Republican and stuff like that's how yeah. big of an influence that this film and in turn character became. And dude, one of the things that I'm always kind of reminded of every time I watch it, like I've, I've seen this movie. I don't even know how many times in my life. It's right. been a lot. Um, but dude, something all every single time I watch it, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the background that is the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Uh, they're in the forest, essentially. It's like a town in forest area. It really lends like a background to the movie with like this kind of like rustic old, you know, like workman's town kind of thing. And like it really feels like the town's isolated too, uh, which is really cool because one of the big things in the movie is they originally, the sheriff originally does not want him in the city or in the town. So they escort him out and he just comes back. Because, again, with the landscape that you're looking at and everything, it's like, where's he supposed to go? The next city or next town is probably like 200 miles away, and the guy's hitchhiking. And he came there so, to eat, so he's starving. Yes. So it's like there is a form of desperation there. And, dude, it's surprising, too, that a movie like this, the way that the sheriff and law enforcement is portrayed, is more akin to something you'd see now 
in a movie as opposed to something you'd see in 1982 because it's a really unfavorable kind of look at like local yokel fucking cops that don't have anything to do or still miserable dickheads to people for no apparent reason. Uh, And of course, this is literally the antithesis of it bites them in the ass as Rambo. Like, dude, one of my favorite fucking things in First Blood or in any action movie, really, is like when Richard Crenna gets there and he's like, you better better get on the horn. And he's like, for what? He's like, you're going to need a lot of body bags. (laughs) That's that's what's great. You have, like I'm mentioning, the buildup that shows you as the viewer how mistreated Rambo is and he's just this dysfunctional loner and everything just hitchhiking just like a vagrant at this point a nomad you know just you know he met like the classic mentioning of people spitting on him at the airport when he came back after fighting for the country and that whole initial thing and and then you have him escape and then you have all the action that's set up and then you have Troutman come in and he starts throwing around all the build-up you know, kind of quotes like that, you know, like all the time. And he's just like, your men don't stand a chance. And that that's when we can throw in, of course, Hey Ed, both Richard Crenna as Rambo's mentor, Sam Troutman and Brian Dennehy as Sheriff Will Teasel. What a who dude. What Dennehy, a classic all time. Yeah. Great. Oh, great. Performance so from good. Dennehy. Yeah. It's dude. And that's a, And you, we've seen Dennehy in a bunch of shit, but like, there's just really something too, because like, he plays like the older sheriff, the guy that you know, like even, before you even really find anything out about Rambo in the movie, you're like, this dude would fucking murder Dennehy. <laughs> and it's like Dennehy has all these dumbass deputies doing stupid shit on his behalf just because he's like an ego driven asshole. And he's literally picking a fight with a fucking vagrant who happens to be a Green Beret who might be the most dangerous person walking the face of the earth. Yeah. (laughs) Which, and dude, it's not even like, and they go further than typical shit. Like, of course, you know, Rambo can fucking fight and he could, you know, uh, make weapons and shit. But like when they're showing those scenes of like, and I love that they, they do this because it, it enters more of a sense of realism in the movie. But like when he, when he first gets in the woods and he like finds some sort of clothing, finds a way to start a fire. Like he's doing the basic survivalist survival shit. shit. Yep. It, it, and that's kind of the shit. Like you could say what you want about the fights and the weapons and shit, but like when they start showing you that shit, it's like I'm sure you probably kind of guessed going into the movie, even if you've never seen it before. But you're like, oh, this whole sheriff's department is fucked. <laughs> like yeah. this dude, he has no purpose other than to survive. He doesn't give a shit about his own life. He's literally only surviving so other people don't beat him. Out of instinct. Like, yeah, instinct. Dude, that shit when he's underground fucking in that water yep. with all the rats and shit. It's like, and by the way, that was a real scene where he's just in water with fucking rats. Ugh. Like, that was Stallone's call on that one. Uh, yeah, and, I'm used to rats. And dude, I, I'll tell you right now, and it's bizarre as shit, but uh, Ted Kochif, the director of this, right? This dude's made a bunch of stuff. He made Uncommon Valor, Weekend at Bernie's, uh, Hidden Assassin, Billy Two Hats, Joshua, like a bunch of different movies, right? But like, my man knew how to direct some shit with Rambo First Blood because like the way that everything is done and like the blowing up the gas station, like there's so much shit in this movie that is like, and you can tell it's not easy shit to direct. Like, there's some big sequences 
like some massive action film kind of stuff here, but it's done on a smaller scale. So that's why I say too that it kind of reminds me of like a grindhouse movie because in grindhouse movies you might see a, a gas station get blown up, right? But in an action movie, they're like blowing up fucking high rises and shit. So it's a little on a smaller scale, but everything works here. Um, the action sequences, them showing like Rambo basically running around the town at night and shit, like really, really good direction in this one, especially for what's what's you know people would consider an action film. Um, and dude, the First Blood is you know as responsible as any other action movie you will ever find for kind of setting the stage. Like I feel like. Rambo was the prototype until 1988 or so, like when Die Hard came out. And then everybody kind of shifted over to that type of thing. Yeah, but for a good like eight years or so, like or around that, First Blood was the template. That's what happens. So, you know, something breaks that glass ceiling, you know, and a, a lot of things. That's what creates trends and fads. One thing I wanted to point out, hey, uh, that always stood out to me since I was a kid, probably the only competition of Dennehy's Teasel is, of course, Jack Starrett's Galt. Who's the complete redneck asshole? Yep. And maybe maybe the only other character and, and deputy that's maybe even worse than Dennehy. And yep. it all leads up to Galt going against orders and trying to kill Rambo from the helicopter. And yep. Rambo climbs the cliff and he's getting shot at and he sees the big ass pine tree and decides, you know me with stunts, dude. He decides to just jump off the fucking cliff into the tree and it ends up you know, getting fucking Galt to go down into like the, the wind current and the helicopter pilots like, no Galt, we can't do this. It's the wind. He's like, fuck you, get me down there. And he ends up falling. And I yep. always remember that as a kid, that was like one of the first, honestly, dude, one of the first images I can remember of that kind of violence when Rambo kind of is by his body and picks him up and his face is all purple and bloody and shit. Yep. Great scene. It's dude. And then you, you can't talk about first blood without talking about the, the breakdown scene towards the end. That's, it's a yeah, monologue yep. about being a soldier and how he feels worthless and fucking he, he was operating million-dollar equipment, comes home, can't get a fucking job. And he's, you know, like fucking talking about his friend losing his fucking legs and he's and trying he to can't find together. his legs. Yeah, he couldn't can't find his legs. It's really... And then he hugs Troutman because Troutman is the only semblance of family he has. And it's a... yep. It's a colonel that kind of cares about him, but it's, you know, military shit. But, yeah, he, like, ends up hugging him, and, yeah, it's, a, and dude, it's an amazing scene. This might be the very first movie about a Vietnam veteran. And even though they don't say it, they're showing you post-traumatic stress disorder on the screen. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. in the flesh. I don't know. This is something that I wish I knew offhand about the right, like, whoever, like, the... The writer of this movie essentially must have known someone or been related to someone or had fucking experiences themselves with Vietnam. And that was something real. Like, I don't feel like that was some sort of monologue that somebody came up with. That came out of something real, in my opinion. Maybe it was a news story they saw or something like But, like, the way it's conveyed, the way that Stallone does it, and it's funny because... People shit on Stallone because the way he sounds and everything. And I get it. Like, for a long time, it was a running joke. But, dude, his verbiage and the way he talks and shit really adds to that fucking scene more so than, like, some sophisticated actor. And, dude, I know he did his fair share of bullshit through the years. But, like, 
I think a lot of times Stallone doesn't get the credit. I agree. You know me. I I always say that, and not only acting, he's a great writer and director. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's written a lot of shit. And dude, that's why I kind of put him over Schwarzenegger when for years I didn't because I just think as far as movies go, he's more of a creative than Schwarzenegger was. Yeah, like, I would agree with that. Yeah, you know how I feel about Just Army. all around. Yep. So it, 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 they're different. That's what's funny because like they got compared a lot, but they're vastly different with who they are and the work that they do and shit like that. So, but dude, I mean, I can pine on and on and on and on about first blood because it's just repeat viewings good performances it it's 93 minutes and it is dude and we talk about frenetic pacing a lot with movies like you're gonna be hard pressed to find something 93 minutes that moves like this motherfucker does because it just does not stop once it gets going it doesn't stop at all that's why it's such an easy watch every yeah every scene every it just keeps building and building and building and like you know what you're getting into, but it's like, I think that the character kind of pulls you around to the Rambo character that in ways that you kind of don't expect it to, especially if you're just used to like prototype action movies and shit. You'll see why this stands like head and shoulders with the best of the best because of that. And again, the the sequels to Rambo, like Rambo 2 is not bad. Rambo 3 is pretty bad. And of course, like, you know, John Rambo and Rock, like, that shit's fucking tremendous. Um, but like, this one really stands alone, like, to me, out of the series as like just being absolutely phenomenal. You could, re- the rewatchability on it's crazy. Um, it's, just, it's just one of the greatest fucking action movies of all time. And that's why it's like a dual pick for us here on the movies that made us. Yep. And again, I must say being kids of the eighties, you know, such Rambo and Stallone and first blood and the series, just a huge, huge influence and, and something we've watched on and off throughout our lives. Like we said, can't even remember how many times we've, we've watched it as we dip in hey, you know, to the what's real podcast movies that made us like we like to do with some factoids and trivia. Uh, the film, I think you mentioned this, based on the 1972 novel First Blood. Uh, another thing about that, though, it's a, a novel which many directors and studios had un- unsuccessfully attempted to adapt in the 1970s. It was uh, written in 1972, so throughout the 70s, this couldn't get off the ground until it was finally picked up uh, by this production team that got the rights and were able to shoot it and release it. Uh, initial reviews were mixed, but the film was a box office success, grossed a hundred and fifty-six million. Hey, Ed, in eighty-two, that would make it the thirteenth highest-grossing film at the domestic Bro, box office. <laughs> so, and that—that's when—that's when money was money. money you yes. know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, as we've been discussing, its success spawned a franchise consisting of four sequels, co-written by and starring Stallone, uh, even an animated television series, which I forgot about and I remembered. Comic books, a novel series, several video games. And this 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 was cool. This is the trivia portion. Uh, so the large piece of rotten canvas that Rambo finds in the woods, and yep. you know he cuts it into the makeshift coat, like you were mentioning the survivalist portions and everything. That was in fact not a movie prop, but a real piece of rotten canvas. So you know it goes yep. in with the rat talk found by the film crew during the movie's production. Since there was only one piece, Stallone joked about how the canvas became a treasured prop on the set. And even after filming ended, Stallone kept the rotten canvas and still has it in his possession to this very day. Dude, it, that's, you know, and dude, I love this too. This is a fucking one of my favorite lines from the movie that it just, you know, I was just thinking it just popped in my head. 
when like they're trying to figure everything out that one cop's like wayne hunting him he's hunting us yeah exactly and it's like one dude is hunting a whole police department yeah, which is funny too because outside help one of the uh deputies mitch rogers is david caruso yep which was definitely probably one of his first Who's, roles and he's really good in it for like what his character's oh his, yeah his character like knows what they're doing is wrong but he has to go along like, with it yeah he's just following orders and shit and it's that's see, and that's the thing too. I think that they kind of show that there there is that realization in that character, and it's kind of cool that they gave it to a secondary character. He understands that he's just doing his job, and like once he finds out about him being a veteran and shit, he's like, "Oh fuck!" Like we're after this dude for just doing his job. Like he's just like me, even yeah. though he's nothing like him. But he's like, that's when he realizes, like, we shouldn't be doing this. This isn't right. Like. Then Denny's like, yeah, shut the fuck up and do what I tell you to do kind of shit. Um, but, dude, they, you know, this is also, like, in a unique time. Like, I think that the fact that this movie came out in the early 80s, like in 82 when it did, it's like it was early enough to where the 80s weren't set in stone yet, but it definitely still had that 70s fucking influence and sensibility to it, which, you know, Stallone is wholeheartedly out of with Rocky and everything else. So... Uh, you know, it it's it's a perfect time capsule for the like. I don't think this movie would have came out even five years later or five years before it. It just wouldn't have been the same. So it's you know firmly planted in 1982 is like the perfect spot that if it wasn't for like you know the way movies get pumped out, you know, on their schedule and everything else, like if something would have happened or whatever, I don't know if this movie would have had the the impact that it did. That's a great point. I I just have three bullet points for myself here to kind of wrap things up with first blood hey you know and okay. the first one uh was just to round out the trivia notes i had because i thought this was really interesting where the first rough cut of the film was between three and three and a half hours long according to stallone it was so bad that it sickened his agent in him to the point that stallone wanted to buy the movie and destroy it thinking that it was a career killer uh after heavy re-editing the film was cut down to 93 minutes this version was ultimate release released in theaters the ending used in the finished film was shot in March 1982 after the original one was deemed unsatisfactory, which leads me into my second point I wanted to bring up, which is, of course, the climax. And it's great. It goes into, as you had mentioned earlier, hey, Ed, really cool sequences of Rambo kind of running through the streets with his gun, you know, just doing some stealth action. He ends up blowing up the gas station and then it's him versus Dennehy. You know, Dennehy climbs up to the roof of the uh police station to kind of you know get the drop on on rambo we all know that's not going to happen and and it leads into the scene we were talking about with troutman and, and rambo just talking about nom and just stallone showing some acting chops and just that ridiculous scene which is is great which all leads into the last thing which we've discussed hey ed and that of yep. course is the film score composed and conducted by jerry goldsmith and the main theme it's a long road which that shit's great. hard as fuck. Yep. Like, they have the orchestra that. version throughout, and then at the end yep. they have the version with lyrics, and it's just yep. it's hilarious at the end of the 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 credits and everything. It's great. And and dude, it's a brutal song. Like when you read the lyrics to yeah, it, yeah, right. Like it's fucking brutal. But dude, that's what I liked about this movie too. Like it is what it is. It's not a hero story. It's definitely like the anti-hero story. But you know. They work it well, and then it's just a tragic fucking character. So, like, 
in a movie like this, dude, it's it's just a downbeat movie. But because it's an action film, it's such a jarring experience because it's always like the hero walks off and everything's great. And, you know, Rambo wins, obviously, in this. But, like, you totally... And they show it throughout the series, regardless if you like the movies or not. Like, it, life doesn't get much better for Rambo from <laughs> for the duration. Like, it, he's always going to live a shit life one way or another. And that's, like, also the more tragic part of the character. But, man, if it doesn't make for some compelling shit on screen. Oh, just beautiful. And, and I just think this is always fun. Hey, Ed, let me throw this at you. Then uh, that's with the casting. And, and we always like doing this with the movies that made us where the project was purchased by Warner Brothers and Robert De Niro and Clint Eastwood were each considered for the role of Rambo. I thought they were going to say the sheriff. Yeah. And uh, written tended to cast uh, Robert Mitchum as Teasel and Paul Newman as Rambo. <laughs> Can you picture Jesus. Paul Newman as Rambo? Uh, Dude, Newman, I, I have, uh, Newman, I think, would have somehow made it work. It would be a yeah, way different, be different movie, but, yeah. but it'd be like, yeah, I'm, I have faith that Newman's good enough to figure it out. But Paul had considered Steve McQueen uh, even back then, but then rejected him because they considered him too old to play a Vietnam veteran from 75. And then James Caan, Burt Reynolds, and Robert Redford were also considered so um, and dude I, I don't know if you've ever seen this and i i i don't have any confirmation it's just something that i kind of thought about have you ever seen the park is mine with tommy lee jones no so it, it's this movie it, like this is more of a grindhouse movie type thing but it's like a vietnam veteran basically like takes control of central park on veterans day and he's like i'll give the park up when the, like the day is over and it's not good enough for the authorities. So like it, and it's basically like Rambo, but he's just blowing shit up instead. Like there, there's a few different things, but it's like a movie to me that like was 100% written, produced and everything after somebody saw fucking first blood. Yeah. But it's good. It's definitely worth watching. It's from 1985. Yeah. Uh, I, I told you I get influenced by this film every time I watch it. Personally. It's hard not to. Because it's like, dude, you can make a movie that's not even an action movie or about something like this, and you can still take stuff from it because it's it's a pretty interesting piece of filmmaking, and it which gets thrown to the wayside a lot too because oh, it's an action film, but like it's, it's fucking really good. Like, well, that's there's a reason why it's such a big deal, and we, we're talking about a movie from 1982 to this day. Yeah, because I found a quote from Stallone from '85. And he okay. said, quote, the original Rambo was so bloodthirsty. The story was so hard, so terrifying every step of the way. I think that's one reason the book took so long to get done. What I did with Rambo was try to keep one foot in the establishment and one foot in the outlaw or frontier image. I wanted him to be accepted by the mainstream, but also be a criminal. So he has some strong patriotic views and he loves the system. He just doesn't like a lot of the people who live and work in it. Yeah, man, I kind of myself wish somebody would make the original version. Just to see, yeah, like, yeah, like, like just, just like bonkers. the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this motherfucker's just going ham on everything, like bashing skulls in. Yeah, just because I want to see, I want to see if it would be, you know, better or worse. Like, I mean, I don't. Well, honestly, the same he movie. he kind of gets there, and like you said in the the Rambo film when he's in the uh, third world country. I mean, he's oh yeah, that is one of yeah. the most violent movies ever. Literally. Yeah, they weren't they weren't gonna have them fucking absolutely decimate fucking police officers, but once they get them in the Middle East, it's like, dude, you can do anything you want. We don't <laughs> give a fuck about these yeah. people. Uh but that's neither here nor there. But the J for first blood, give us a tagline. 
Well, they, they went off of the uh, connection to Rocky, of course, where the top of the poster says Stallone, and then other it, it says under it it says this time he's fighting for his life. There you go. So funny how that works. They were trying to still capitalize on Rocky in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Didn't really have to though. Right. This one stands on its own. Yeah, created another franchise. Yeah. Without a doubt, First Blood's one of the greatest movies ever made. That's why it appears right here on the movies that made us. So coming up next, we got a fucking uh oh yeah. shit. Dude, Rob, fuck it. Yeah, uh, guys, Thursday Night Crime, uh, Showdown yeah. in Little Tokyo, if we make it through 1991. Uh, we'll, we'll be back right after this, uh, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Step right up, Fridays at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Fridays at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, you want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast for Physically Fit with Kurt Angle. At Physically Fit, we are committed to providing our customers with the highest quality, better for you protein snack nutrition the entire family will enjoy. In a time when product quality seems to be compromised by price, we are determined to be unique and offer different offerings, superior ingredients, great taste, texture, and quality in every bag. We strive to inspire everyone on some level and share values of faith, family, respect, and excellence daily. Our goal is to be a small part of your life, personal growth, health, and happiness. We consider each customer to be part of our growing physically fit family and encourage all to live life to its fullest. Set new goals daily to better yourself physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Don't compromise your values and always be kind and respectful to others. Our motto is healthy people, healthy planet, because we believe that providing great tasting nutrition makes for a healthier you, and a healthier you makes for a healthier planet. Strive for a better tomorrow and live physically fit. Go to physicallyfit.com today. And we're back. Um, Jesus, uh, dude, I, I fell down that hillside. I know. I was that, sniping. I saw you because I, I had the scope. Oh, I was like, hey, Ed got stupid, broke. <laughs> but I took stupid. that dude out right above you. So, What a stupid fucking place to put a tree. Yeah. Seriously. Nocturus oh. is going nuts down there. But you yeah, know. Fuck him. He's, he was the one out here planting trees last summer. Like, that was a good idea or something. Like, we, do we need more trees? Dude, we paid for those trees, didn't we? Yeah, it's like how much can those protect us from all this? Yeah, and what a craziness! I don't, do you did you want trees? I don't remember saying anything about trees. No, uh, I think him and Cam made that decision. Thanks, Cam. Yeah, you you, you tree loving fuckers. But yeah, that anyway, was, that was good because it was a nice, easy survival. So we did we did Rambo maybe, proud, hey y'all. Maybe for you. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, you got oh, broke. That sucks. Yeah, my ri- my ribs are all fucked up now. But 
Anyway, uh, let's get into it. 1991, uh, from our most featured director on the show of all time, without question, is Mark L. Lester. Mark L. Lester, baby. We're talking showdown in Little Tokyo. An American with a Japanese upbringing, Chris Kenner is a police officer assigned to the Little Tokyo section of Los Angeles. Kenner is partnered with Johnny Murata, a Japanese-American who isn't in touch with his roots. Despite their differences, both men excel at martial arts and utilize their formidable skills when they go up against Yoshida, a vicious Yakuza drug dealer with ties to Kenner's past. Um, this was a 100% staple on uh, Thursday Night Prime back in the day. Oh, yeah. Starring Dolph Lundgren as Chris Kenner. Brandon Lee. This is the first thing I re- remember seeing Brandon Lee in as Johnny Murata. And, of course, Tia Carrere, known from Wayne's World Fair as Monaco Okea. Uh, we also have kind of like a who's who of, like, you know, random B-movie kind of action people in this one as well. Uh, playing very minuscule roles. But the thing that always got me with this movie, uh, for whatever reason, like Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee probably have more personality in this movie than they ever had in anything that I remember ever again. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, a good point. (laughs) They're great together in this fight. It's like a buddy cop movie type deal. Yeah. And it's fucking funny. Uh, the, The villains are good. There's good fight sequences. There's some gunplay. There's naked Tia Carrere, which is probably the the reason why this movie got on most people's radar in the first place. Um, Dude, this is the movie that, like, everybody used to watch because they knew she was naked in it. And then they were like, yeah, but it was actually fucking pretty good. (laughs) A a staple of Thursday Night Prime as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and it's not, you know... This is something I didn't realize prior to watching it for the, the podcast. I didn't realize that Mark Lester did this movie, directed it, um, which is totally understandable because he makes nothing but really cool shit, uh, apparently. Um, but, dude, it's it's really weird that this movie, like, this is one of those movies, too, where, like, all, like, me and, like, our group of friends, like, we all saw this movie at some point. And, of course, it is known for the classic line, the J, uh, and you can, I'll give this one to you for the, the quote of quotes from this movie. The quote of quotes. I'm trying to think. Go ahead, take it, because I'm not sure which one you're thinking of. Oh, you have the I'm biggest sorry. Dick oh, I'm ever sorry. Seen yeah, how can I forget? <laughs> Kenner, just in case we get killed, I wanted to tell you, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what to say. How about don't get killed? Don't get killed. <laughs> you too. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Scene. Like, it's, dude, and it's the, the, the part of this movie too, and it's, I don't even know if, I, I think that they could probably do some of this shit today and it wouldn't be a big deal, but like how uh, Dolph's character loves Japanese culture and Brandon well, Lee. that's hilarious. Like, yeah. he just doesn't give a fuck about any of it. They flip it because <laughs> like Dolph Lundgren's character, Chris Kenner, was raised till he was 12 in Japan. And the main villain, Yoshida, killed his parents. So that's like the theme. And Yoshida, by the way, is played by uh, Kerry Tagawa, who was actually the shot. What's his name from Mortal Kombat? Uh, Shang Tsung. Yep. And dude. So he's a good villain. There's a bunch of nudity in this movie that doesn't even involve fucking Tia Carrere. Like this is 100% a movie that was made like fucking for the video thing like it has tits there's a bunch of action in it like 
it hits all the marks for Dude, this type of movie. And that one scene's pretty crazy with the hot blonde and Yoshida calls calls her up because she was like an informant. Yep. And he's about to fuck her and she gets naked and then he cuts her head off. Yep. And that's it's pretty wild. brutal. Yeah. And of and of course, you can't have a movie like this without the OG Al Leong. Yep, Al Leong's uh, in there. I mean, James Lee's also in this, George Chang and Gerald Okamura. Um, the like the henchmen of henchmen for fucking action movies. Uh the like, you know, it's basically just like hilarious one-liners, naked women, all the henchmen you recognize from a bunch of other shit. Uh Bruce Lee's son. And Dolph Lundgren somehow on more steroids and HGH than he was when he made Rocky. Yeah, he's, he's like negative four percent body fat. Dude, like I, I almost couldn't believe it. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus, dude. I'm like, he's bigger than he was in fucking Rocky. That's what like, happens for real. Like, but this was clearly like the time period too where he was trying to be like the action dude, even though it didn't work out. And this is clearly also before Brandon Lee made his mark on the world with the crow. Uh, I think he did rapid fire before this as well. Yeah. Um, or it might've been, you know, around the same time at least. So, and those are like the big three movies that he essentially would get to make before his career was cut on untimely short uh, as he was killed. Which of course the, the set of the crow. Yeah. Always so weird that Bruce Lee passed away and then, Enter the Dragon came out was huge in the same thing. Brandon Lee died after filming most of The Crow, so they finished it and it came out was huge. Yeah, absolutely really weird. And it and dude, this this movie is interesting too because like when you watch it, you're like, I get why everybody was on the Brandon Lee train at this point. Like it's like people saw this movie and he clearly stands out a lot in it. Um, like he has comedic timing, he can do the action thing. Dude's a good looking dude. Like it's not and, and not and then he has the whole Bruce Lee legacy behind him. Like it he would have been a massive fucking star, I think. Cause I think that like even what he does in the crow and shit like that, he was clearly branching out to try and do different stuff. And he doesn't strike me as the type of dude that would have just been content being like an action guy. Or went and partied and fucked up his career or something like that. But, exactly. So but you know, you you definitely see where like like what people saw in him in this movie. That's why another reason why I like this movie because it's such an odd flick too that like it wasn't like a massive success. It's a cult movie, but it really is like the movie, the coming of age movie from Brandon Lee. And one scene I I did love. So one of the big plot points is the lead villain Yoshida that we've been talking about. He becomes a drug manufacturer using like this brewery, the local brewery, and even. Brandon Lee or, or Lundgren, I forget which one, says like the, the audacity. He even uses the Yakuza symbol in his like beer logo, you know? So he's like has yep. this whole plot, which is pretty cool. Like that's good writing that, you know, there's just not something thrown together. It's something like that is like a cool plot point here with this brewery being used to, to get drugs out. So he calls in all these smaller gangs for like a business deal. So he has like Hell's Angels, Crips. And, and like the Latino gang to peddle the drugs for him. And of course, they're all like talking shit on him. And then he just cuts the one dude's hand off. And they're just yep. like, all right, we get like the Crips are like, oh man, we're good. Like we're in. <laughs> That's what he cracked me up. Occasionally, I have to go to uh, Letterboxd for this. This is from somebody on Letterboxd named Sydney. I thought this was pretty funny. The 80s and 90s were so fucking wild. 
just nonstop racism and misogyny. Then out of nowhere, it's like, let's make Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren take their shirts off so we can tie them up and torture them because that's totally a normal heterosexual thing to do. Three star. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another great part. As as I always bring up, obviously, especially towards the end of the reviews here with the climax. But they have a, a big a sword fight showdown, and Lundgren's all oiled up and gassed up, like you said, ripped up, and he's in those uh, like samurai pants, like the big puffy yeah. pants, <laughs> and yep. he, he ends up impaling Yoshida onto the Catherine wheel with like the spinning fireworks. <laughs> yep, uh, it's which great. is. Dude, that it's come to think of it, that's like the most Mark Lester fucking thing I've ever seen. So the fact that I never realized he directed this until recently is ridiculous. Yeah, I did the same thing when the movie started. It was like directed by Mark L. Lester. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I'm like, here he goes again. Like, I'm sure he's going to keep popping up on the show constantly for no apparent reason. But here it is. So, I mean, you know, it's still pretty good. Nonetheless, I like this movie a lot. And uh, it's kind of an appropriate choice for us here on Thursday Night Prime. Uh, so the J, you know what time it is, brother? Hit us with a tagline for Showdown in Little Tokyo. Showdown in Little Tokyo. One's a warrior. One's a wise ass. There are two L.A. cops going after a gang of Japanese drug lords feet first. And as we do here on the show for Thursday Night Prime, on a scale of five stars, I'm going to give Showdown in Little Tokyo Three and a half. Right with you. Three and a half. It's a solid three and a half. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad we revisited it, man. It's been some time since I watched it, and it definitely held up. I had fun with it. I think I watched it like Saturday morning, and I was like, put me in a good mood for the day. And, dude, it's pretty crazy because we both kind of discussed it whenever we were coming up with ideas for the show this week where it was like, how the fuck did we never do this? Yeah, yet? especially with Mark L. Lester. Yeah, and it's like, dude, this is without a doubt. Like, this, this was this never was, off our radar. Yeah, this was all Thursday Night Prime. So, like, yeah, we did a, it now. Hey, it, yeah, so we better we late than never. One of the other, the quintessential Thursday Night Prime movie. So, we hope you guys enjoy that. But we are up against our very last commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So, stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. 
Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference to be the unsung. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So, the Jay, what do we got this week on the Goof Front? Ah, it's beautiful here. Hey, yeah, as we talked about last week, it is officially spring here in 2023, and on the What's Real Podcast here, down from the What's Real Studios in our beautiful lagoon, and many more of the wildlife are back. You know, there's the pack of wolves over there, so stay away from from them. Hey, Iana, especially after your fall earlier, no more injuries this week. But the flamingos are still intact. And, and look, dude, the uh, the dolphins are back, flip flopping around in the lagoon. So beautiful setting, we love it here. And there it is, the waterfall that we come to each and every week on the What's Real podcast in our world, the waterfall of goofs. It's GRG one five seven. And our man is back, hey, Ed, personal friend of the show, original internet viral sensation, Antoine Dodson. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Antoine Dodson is okay with white people using black memes. He says they pay top dollar. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They spoke to the viral star at CNN, whose iconic quotes from 2010, uh, the news piece including Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife, were turned into a catchy song, weighed in on the CNN digital blackface controversy. And as it turns out, he has quite a bit to say about it. So, yeah, I guess this is coming from, they were saying, if you're white and you've posted a gif or meme of a black person to express a strong emotion, you may be guilty of wearing digital blackface. Hey, yo, that's where we're at in 2023. I'm just not going to use the internet anymore. It's <laughs> that, fine. That'd be, a good, that, that'd be a good strategy. Hey, yo. But definitely wanted to start GRG with Antoine Dobson popping up back in the headlines. Next up is another boy of ours, RDJ, Robert Downey Jr. Chew on this, hey, Ed, for 55K. His used gum from Walk of Fame hits eBay. So when he was getting his star for the Hollywood Walk of Fame, he took a piece of gum out of his mouth, old Robert Downey. And, and put it on his uh, his star because I guess that's like a thing that happens a lot on the Hollywood Walk of Fame because people are okay. dickheads and litter. And it is now going for a starting bid of 55K. Yeah, no one's going to buy that. You don't think so? Nope. I was thinking about all. it. I was like pulling money out, but then I'm like, you know what? What am I going to do with I, RDJ's gum? You know? I just realized I'm not a complete fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> And that I have no interest in that. The seller claims he was able to snag the gum right where RDJ left it. Now it's apparently up for grabs in the same condition he got it. Kind of weird that your life's work is just taking a piece of gum that a celebrity left. And now you're trying to like cash out on it. Yeah. That's the most American shit of all time. And like you said, he's he's not going to sell it. Yeah. No one's going to buy that shit for 55 grand. Are you familiar with Amy Slayton? I don't think so. She's one half of the thousand pound sisters. So she's five Honda. Oh my dude, you should see her. Uh, I like you know me. I like love challenges. I'm thinking if I could uh, body slam her. Just stop. Just stop right now. Do you think <laughs> Just, I could? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, it's, we're not doing this. I'm gonna come in on a helicopter on the USS Intrepid. <laughs> 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 To the hero, song. everybody's gonna think it's Hulk Hogan and it's the J. 
Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going to think it's Lex Luger, but then they, they didn't notice a wheelchair. So, like, it's clearly not Lex Luger. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go to hell with this whole segment. Yeah. Shall we? Amy Slayton's hubby, Michael Halterman, is calling it quits on their marriage, recently filing for divorce. I guess they've been married for six years. So, God bless him for, for I mean, putting up with a 500 pound woman. Hey, Ed, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, it's literally, it's, it's, never mind. No, I could not. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Americans are one step closer to being able to buy chicken grown from animal cells, also known as lab-grown meat. Thank fuck. So, yeah, this was another thing I was looking into investing in. Um, But, yeah, this is chicken grown from animal cells. It's good meat is the developer of a, a chicken product. Hey, Ed. And it has received the so-called no questions letter from the FDA. The letter states that the administration is satisfied that the product is safe to sell in the U.S. And they issued a similar letter to another company that makes meat from cultured chicken cells, Upside Foods, in November. So this is a big step. And it's going to give factory farming a run for its money, which is good. So if this, if this stuff tastes good and doesn't kill you, I'm going to let like this go for like a nine-month to, to a year period. I might start trying it. The lab grown chicken. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm really looking forward to when we just start eating Soylent Green anyway. So yeah. let's just fucking let's just skip all the fucking steps. Piss on it. Did you see last week Johnny Manziel? Johnny Football himself got crapped on by a bird while on vacation with his girlfriend, and as TMZ says, it was hilarious. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm. That's fine, I suppose. So here, here's this. Here's uh, this genius's yeah. quote. Cause it's it's on video, like it shows the shit on his head. It's, he says, "Is that shit on my head?" Jesus. And, Christ. and his girlfriend, that's super hot, is like, "You've had a crappy day at the beach, Johnny." A crappy day at the <laughs> beach. Yeah, I mean that's true, no doubt. If you don't get that camera out of my face, he said with a huge grin to his fiance as she taped him. And get it off me, Kenzie. I'm going to wipe it on your fucking body. And then they had bird crap sex. So this is what Johnny Manziel's up to, if anybody was wondering. But we were just talking about okay. that, dude. That's that's how you you do it. You know, it's like you make five million or what did he did he make over five million? Probably. So he's doing what we would do. Um, but yeah, it appears his girlfriend, Kenner Warner, eventually helped out her man but not before she took a photo to memorialize the situation, which she captioned hashtag my poopy boy. So she's, she's pretty creative. uh, Kenzie. (sighs) Dude, this, this story had me dying, dying. So I'll just read you the, the post. Oh my God, y'all, this girl's boyfriend went on a date. Oh no, this girl, what does BSF mean? Hey, Ed, do you know? Oh, my God, y'all. This girl BSF went on a date. Mm, I don't know. Bitch. I'm not ringing a bell. Okay. Well, she went on a date with some guy, and she went missing. And she ended up being in Detroit near a trailer park and trucks to all the way on a boat to Africa. So she got finangled into slavery apparently uh human trafficking if you will because i don't understand why the fuck that would happen otherwise like the first no, like dude nobody's you're not gonna go on a date with somebody and end up on a fucking ship to europe like oh it was accidental oops 
Yeah, the first comment was trafficking is real, and then there's like all these serious like links. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was Bunny Benz. Uh, this is the last time I talked to my best friend, March 1st, and this was her location, saying this was two days after she went missing. I went to her location to look for her, but it was just trailers. I asked the lady how often they move, and the lady said every day. <laughs> she never told me who she went on a date with. When I went to her house, her mother was acting nonchalant like she really wasn't concerned. I tried to make a police report, but they told me only her parents could make it uh, because that's who she lived with. This whole situation is weird, and she's now on a boat uh, sailing to Africa. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck to make of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. I dude, it's, the, either this is just fake or it's like there, there's something weird about it. Like something here just doesn't fucking make sense. No, I think you nailed it, dude. I think she just got kidnapped and, and trafficked. Man, okay. Yeah, so weird. there was an update. The reason her location showed up in Africa is because that location in Africa is known as Nall Island. Her phone location isn't turned off because they can't turn off a phone location, but they t stop transmission. Oh, so it reads zero zero on GPS. So oh, she God. she blocked any signal of reading where the phone actually is. Okay, because I was just about to say none of this makes any sense. Dude, I think we just all. solved it. The case. Yeah, thank God. Thank God we're on the case here, guys. <laughs> just got sold into fucking trafficking. That's it. Well, it's not as interesting as they may think it is. I'm going to be like Neeson. Like, I have a particular set of skills. I'm going to bring her back for the podcast. I just sent this okay. to you, dude. You're going to check this out. This is just okay. craziness. This, folks, is called a Mandelbub. And you guys got to look up a Mandelbub. It's a three-dimensional fractal that can be constructed as a Mandelbrot set in four dimensions using quaternions and bi-complex numbers. And this one was spotted in the wild, and it looks crazy. It there's looks, no way that's a real thing. Yeah, it looks alien. Like, there's no way that's a thing. Yeah, I'm I just saying that right now. This is CGI or some kind of bullshit. That's there's absolutely no way. Yeah, because that that's is a I, real I, fucking thing. Like, if I saw that like on a walk with you, I'd think we're in Stranger Things. You know, I'm I'm looking here. I'm like doing further research because something here just doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is real. Yeah, I put on the YouTube video. We'll have to research that. But I just thought it was really cool to throw on GRG. And I'm going to close this out with um, a great thing that me and you shared earlier this week, Hey Ed, in which we were okay. both, both dying. And that's a picture of American treasure Tommy Lee Jones where it says, Tommy Lee Jones always looks like his son just told him he wants to ride unicycles professionally. <laughs> Which is weirdly Which enough the second, the second Tommy Lee Jones reference on the show this week. Yeah, we love we love ourselves some TMJ. But as I say to my brother from another mother, between one thousand pound sisters that the Jay's gonna f five to lab grown meat to Johnny football <laughs> being a shithead to a crazy story about human trafficking, RDJ, Antoine Dotson, TLJ, goofs are gifts so that's about it for us here this week on episode 157 of the what's real podcast if you guys are listening on itunes feel free to give us a five-star review helps the algorithm gets more eyes and ears on the program of course you can listen to us each and every week on all of your favorite podcasting platforms such as apple itunes spotify podbean google podcasts and churchillpictures.com 
If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can do so at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Uh, also, just to let you guys know, programming note, uh, since me and the Jay are going to be out of town next week, we are doing a special. It's going to be a double feature of Fridays at midnight, so that should be fun. And then the week after that, we will be back with episode 158. So uh, before we get out of here, though, I hear the Jay revving it up. So the Jay, take it away. Revving it up like Tommy Lee Jones. Hey, Ed. Hi, Joe kids. Hi, Joe wife. The What's Real podcast is coming to your earbuds. But as you can tell, the Jay's delirious. I got to give my shout outs though. Hey, Ed, shout outs. Love the show to the wizard behind the boards, the producer amongst producers, our man Cam. We appreciate what you do. That consistent, constant weekly 16K sound. Keep doing it, Cam. To my brother, hey, another great trip into our world. It was a blast, man. Love spending the time with you. To those here in my voice right now, I love you. Stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. And of course, as we do here on the show, before we go, got to give props to our producer Cam for all the hard work he puts on the show. Because as we know here on the program, nobody beats the Wiz. Clang, 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 Jay. clang. Another successful defense of the podcast tag team championships of the universe. Still undefeated. Still never going to lose. Doesn't really matter. So that's it for us this week here on episode 157. Don't forget to join us next week for the What's Real podcast Fridays at midnight special and beyond. So. That is it for us this week, so stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?